It's funny how things work in worship. As I was getting my notes today, I realized I could preach about three hours on this story and cover most of the main topics in Scripture. And I wonder what the Lord was going to do with all these words I have on these pages. All the yellows and the greens and the blues and the pinks I've got underlined. And then I looked at my watch and said, oh, the Lord wants to do something different. Wants to do something different. But before I begin the message this morning, I just want to share a short word with you. A few weeks back, I notified you via email that we were going to have a congregational gathering where we could talk about uh, things going on in the life of the church and the school and just kind of bring you up to date. And then because things didn't turn out exactly as we expected, a chain of events that I wanted you to be a part of did not fully occur, and so we decided not to have that meeting. I know that some of you are wondering when we are going to have that meeting, and I don't want you to be anxious about that. I don't want you to have an anxious presence about it. Uh, We are going to have that meeting, but I want to be able to give you a fully updated report at that time. And my guess is that's going to be somewhere around the middle of July. Uh, uh, There's no accounting for church attendance in the summer. Today we're obviously missing a lot of our brothers and sisters. This must be when vacation started and I didn't get the word. But, you know, that's the way it happens. So whenever we share it, we also share the main points in writing, and it will be posted uh, for people to be able to have access to if they're not here. But I just want you to hear this word, and that is just to be non-anxious. Don't be anxious about it. It will come, and, and I hope that it will bring clarity for us all in that regard. Now back to this text. As I was reading through the book of Acts, I hope you're doing as well, during the month of June and July, thinking about the stories that must not be left out, I'll confess, there's a part of me that kind of wanted to leave this one out. I kind of wanted to leave this story out because it's not the normal fare in Christian stories, especially not in the New Testament. Some people might have thought they woke up while reading this text and found themselves in the Old Testament because this is a God who gets upset and acts upon it. And it's a kind of text that we don't hear a lot about in churches because, quite frankly, it doesn't fit our culture. And I don't mean the culture outside the church. I mean it doesn't fit our culture inside the church as well either. It makes us a little uneasy. It makes us a little uncomfortable. And yet this story lays out for us in dramatic fashion things we need to remember, things we need to hold dear, things that are important on this Father's Day and are important on this day of worship as we look at this text and what it tells us. Just just going back... uh, to the verses before this at the end of chapter 4, Barnabas is introduced to the readers, and there's going to be a lot more to hear about Barnabas. Joseph, previously but renamed by the disciples as Barnabas, the, the son of encouragement. And here he came as the church was banded together and sharing all things in common, and he brought forward from a cell of a piece of land he had, all the money he had, and he laid it at the feet of the disciples. And in that day and age, you know, it meant something when you laid your, what you had at the feet of someone else. And so that was his symbolic way of saying to these apostles that were gathering that he was, he was all in, in the language of our culture today. He was, he was bringing what he had to give to God, which is what the church as a whole was doing in this first church Jerusalem, so to speak, but really this first church universal. This was the church that God was forming, and he evidently was going to do so in very clear and distinct ways that would never 
be forgotten. And so bringing that, then you jump into church five and you get the, the whole story. And if I'd have been editing the Bible, perhaps I would not have included this story, you know, because it doesn't make the church look all that good, does it? Right here in the first outbursting of the Spirit of God, in this first church being formed, in the midst of all these faithful people, here's a story about a man and a woman who got off track early. Now, it didn't say they're not believers, and that's important because I think church wants to just say uh, either they weren't really believers or they would never have done that because we don't like to admit that inside the church there are imperfect Christians as well as there are imperfect people outside the church. We don't like to admit that the Spirit did not ignore trouble but rather engage trouble. In fact, pastors are often encouraged to ignore signs of sin in congregations because congregation really doesn't want to hear about it. We're comfortable with these, our sins. Just leave them alone. Don't come in telling us we need to give more money. We need to teach more classes. We need to study our Bible more. We don't have time for that today. Come in and tell us something that makes us feel good because we live in Feel Good USA and we like feeling good. So this passage of Scripture just doesn't get used a lot. Why? Because in walks a nice and sapphire and say, we're laying it all at your feet too. But they weren't. They were pretending something that was not really happening. Well, God decided he'd make an example, I guess. I don't know. If you're going to ask me to explain what God did, I have no, no hope. And you have none either, if you're depending on me to explain it. But Anais, when he heard the truth, fell dead. Sapphira, when she heard the truth, fell dead. There are even commentators out there who said, this is so unlike God that, that this story was made up to help the church later on. Well, how ridiculous is that? That's pretty ridiculous. It's one or they don't fall dead wherever they made that statement and wrote it in that commentary. <laughs> if I were God, they probably would have. That'd be the difference, you know. But the reality is here, this is a story in Scripture. It's there for our edification, for our knowledge, and for our belief. Because you see, it says quite clearly in this story that this issue of sin lives on within the body of believers and always will be a temptation. Now, fortunately for us, God doesn't have an agenda of coming into church every time the church gathers for worship and just making an example of the sin of the day. Can you imagine what that would look like? Can you imagine if, if God came into a worship service and struck down everyone who was withholding something from God because they wanted to keep it for themselves? And you said, well, what would that look like? Well, it would look like people who have talents and don't share them with the body of Christ. It would look like people who are gifted by the Holy Spirit and hoard those gifts instead of using them in the kingdom of God. It would look like people who were blessed beyond measure but set a limit as to what they would share with others in need. It would look like people who were in church on any given Sunday and had racist thoughts harboring in their hearts. Pretty soon, attendance, you think attendance is low now. If God were showing up every Sunday and striking down anyone who was telling a lie about someone else, how many people would be in worship the following week? What if God did show up some Sunday and did not announce the sin, but announced... Today, I'm going to deal with a particular sin just like I did in the days of Ananias and Sapphira. 
where you'd turn around and there would be empty seats everywhere because people would be fleeing because they wouldn't want to be known for their sin that day, nor would they want to be struck down and die because of their sin. You see, we find many ways to hold back from God what God is asking of us. In fact, we're organized to hold back from God. You want to hear a story about how we're organized to hold back from God? We call it the tithe. You know, I'm giving my 10%. I'm clear. God and I are good on my giving. I have the largest retirement account on my street. I have the most comfortable medical plan on my street. I am blessed with barns that are running over. So they're preaching on tithing today. I tithe faithfully to church. I'm going to show up. Be careful. Because I'm not so sure, and you should not be either, that if you're tithing, you're giving all that God is asking of you. In fact, if you live in America, I'm fairly certain that's not true. Because we have more than most of the rest of the people of the world. And some of them are just like that beautiful baby right there. (laughs) Resting in the arms of comfort and security and knowing they got it made, right? As long as mama is there, they're good. You say, well, are you just going to try and make us feel bad on Father's Day? Yes. I'm going to try to help you understand that there are consequences of sin in your life as a believer. I'm not going to pretend to understand all the scriptures. I know know you've had pastors probably didn't say such things, but it's a great struggle between what to know how God will deal with sinners when we die and go before him. We know scriptures speak of a judgment. We just don't fully understand what it will be like. We know we have security and we believe that it's, that it's eternal. Methodists believe it's, believe it's conditional. Congregational brothers and Calvinist followers of his theology believe it's unconditional. We don't really know who's got it right, but we do know this. We know that when we die and we're God's children, we live forever. So whatever punishment there is for sin will not take your immortal soul is the way I understand it, but I'm, not, I'm just saying what I understand. But I think there might be, a, and remember, I'm not as old as some of you. Thank God. (laughs) And thank God I'm not as young as some of the rest of you. You know, I'm just kind of hovering, though, toward that older group. So in my mind, heaven's got a huge paddling room. Because when I misbehave as a child, I got paddled. I was never beaten to death, don't get me wrong. And quite frankly... I could have used a few more whippings along the way. We called them whippings back then, but that, that's terrible in today's culture. So I'm sure there won't be a whipping room in your, in your heavenly experience. But there will be a punishment for sin. You may be in time out a long time. I don't know. How long do you get in time out in heaven? I don't know how that works. I don't know if it has any meaning at that point. But I believe there's a consequence for sin for me and for you and for every believer as well as for every unbeliever. I believe that. I believe it because the scriptures teach it. 
Did, does that mean I understand it fully? I'm not going to claim that because I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how all that works. I just trust it in God's hand. But I do know this. God is serious about the sin in our lives. And God wants us to act on that sin and cleanse our lives up. Because not only are there consequences in heaven, there are consequences on earth. Some people are suffering because we don't share enough of what we have. That's what I believe. I believe some people in the church are suffering because the church is not even organized in many places around this world to help others who are suffering. That is to our shame. God calls that sin. I believe some teenagers are suffering because they've not been taught that there are consequences to decisions they make even though they're loved. Some parents have raised their teenagers to the point to where they believe that everything is so forgiven that there's no negative consequences to what they do. I believe fathers and mothers are responsible for teaching their children about consequences. And many parents today say, well, you know, they're, they're just so cute. I, don't, I, I want them to know I love them. Well, I want them to know that you are their authority. And your first job in loving them is to teach them the scriptures. If you want to be their best friend every day in their lives, you need to hire someone to be their parent. Because you cannot be their best friend every day of your life. If you are, you have a problem. You can know you're their best friend, but they're not going to believe it. If they're believing it every day of their life, then that means their sin is going unpunished. I don't want any of you to escape life thinking your sin is of no consequence. Don't take your parents... Oh, my. I don't know how I want your parents to convey it to you, but I know since today's Father's Day, I'm going to pick on the men. Women, take a break. Men, you need to teach your children what authority looks like, with love but in a firm way. And when they plead with you, can I please turn on the TV now? I've been in timeout for 10 minutes. You need to say, no, you will be in timeout for the rest of the day, you so misbehave. And when they scream and cry, you need to say, I love you. Go to your room and shut the door. I don't want to hear all the wailing. You knew better than to do what you did, whatever it was that you did. And I don't want to hear you crying about it all day long. Hour later, can I come out now? Nope, it's still today. This, this punishment is for the whole day. That's what I told you when you left. Two hours later, I'm getting hungry. Can I come out now? Yes, you can come out, get your food, go back to your room and eat alone. You say, oh, now you're being severe punishment. Oh, no, I'm not. Severe punishment is something else. Severe punishment means you can't have the keys to the car for six weeks. That's what my brother suffered through, and I learned greatly from it as I watched him. He had a steady girlfriend that he only got to see during the day because there was no traveling by car at night for six weeks. I know because we shared a little small bedroom, and he marked off every day on the calendar. (laughs) And he never made another C in his life. He never made another C. B was his line. And there was no forgiveness until the full six weeks was up. 
I know that's disturbing to your little hearts. It's disturbing to my grandchildren when they get disciplined. It's disturbing to my children when I was raising them. But on this Father's Day, let's be clear, sin has consequences. And if you don't teach your children that, somebody else is going to have to try. And it's not going to be as effective as it will be from parents. I didn't say stop loving them. I didn't say don't forgive them. I didn't say be mean and angry when you're giving them the punishment. But I did say be firm until they understand what consequences are. The younger you teach them, the easier it'll be as they grow up. If you've waited till this point and they're teenagers now, God help you. And God help them. Because you're both going to suffer if you decide to begin it now. These apostles were so tuned into the Lord and so tuned into calling the church together that they ignored everything else. Unity in the body of Christ was paramount. And now I want to say a word to the church. I don't want anybody to leave thinking I'm not speaking to them. I want to ask yourself this simple question. What are you withholding today? What are you withholding from God today? Because you see, they were all in. Everything they had was on the table. We can't even begin to understand that today because we're not all in. But I think at times in every church's history, God calls the church members to bring all that they are and all that they can become and lay it at the feet of their Lord. That's what I believe. I believe he causes them to go all in when in culture the church are becoming farther and farther apart. The church has to go all in so that the example to the unbelieving culture can be clearly seen in the distinctly different lives of those who claim to be following Christ. And you say, well, that's going to take a lot of fun out of life. Yeah, probably will. But what I hope it does, instead of taking all the fun out of life, is I hope that it redefines the church of Jesus Christ by finding true joy to replace their idea of fun. Because you see, fun sometimes means holding on to my time and volunteering occasionally at the church and feeling good about it. Holding on to my gifts because really I did that when I was younger is not a good excuse to withhold your talents from the church. I'm too busy with my job. Who created that job for you in the way it is? My wife trained me well. I'd been 18 months in the first church, and I'd worked about 70 hours a week probably, coming in uh, consistently five and six days a night. The senior pastor was kind of retired early in that church, and as an associate, I was on fire for Jesus. And I couldn't believe I got to counsel everybody, teach everybody, run the youth program, guide the educational department, and make pastoral calls. But I was eating it up. 18 months later, we moved to a new congregation, and one day I looked up, and Sally walked into the room where we were, I looked my three inches down to her. You know, I'm a little taller than she is. It was important to marry a woman a little shorter than you are. And she came up to me and she said, I have a message for you or something to those effects. She'll remember the exact words. Ask her for the details after the story. This is what I remember. She walked up to me and she said, I have a message for you. And I said, yeah, what is it? And she said, don't ever do that to me again. 
being the male that I was, I said, don't ever do what to you again? And she said, you have not been home for a year and a half. You have a wife and child at home. God did not call you to work all your time. Something to those effects, except probably a little clearer. Don't ever do that to me again. Your worth, men, is not in your job. Your value is in your humanity and in your faithful relationship to Jesus Christ. If you have a job that takes you away from everything else that's important in your life, you need to set about finding ways to remedy that. And most of you can. Some of you are just so valuable that I know you have to be there every minute of every day for your company or it would just fold. If that's the case, I hope you're in a one-man operation and you're only killing yourself. But the reality is, if you're withholding something from God today, you need to pray about it. Because here's the kicker. We're not in First Church Jerusalem, but we are at First Church Carrollton, and we've been sitting still a long time. Churches of Jesus Christ filled with his spirit do not sit still. They grow by attracting multitudes. And they also grow by people knowing how committed they are, so committed that some people would refuse to join, as it talked about in verse 13. You know, they were filled with fear and awe at this God who had struck these people dead because they hadn't been all in, so to speak. And so some of them were not joining the church because they didn't want to pretend to be a Christian. If they weren't one, that looked pretty severe, right? So they stayed away. And you might think, well, that sounds like it's killing the growth of the church. But in the very next verse, it says, but the church was growing by multitudes because of the unbelievable faithfulness and commitment of the people of that congregation. They were all in. Everything was brought to God. So, pretty simple. Oh, there's all kinds of other topics I wrote about, but when I looked at the clock... I realize it's Father's Day. i got to go home and have lunch with my two beautiful daughters. And their two wise son-in-laws. Had to be wise. They picked my daughters, right? <laughs> and they need to remain wise because they are still my daughters, guys. <laughs> Your children... Are precious. If you can't tell them the truth, then you need to change the way you're living. Father, we too stand in all these 2,000 years later that you would just take the life of Ananias and Sapphira as a result and consequence of their sin. It frightens us a little bit, for we realize that we too are not perfect. And yet we are thankful for the clear example of what you want from the people who follow you and call you Lord. And so, Lord, today we just end this morning's worship with a thought that we don't want to be like them. We don't want to be pretending to be something we're not. We want to give you all that we have, and we want to make so much room for you in our lives that other people have a hard time seeing us ever separate from you. Because that is what attracts people to Christ when people are all in in love, in grace, 
with forgiveness and mercy, people are healed in such an environment. The supernatural power of God is experienced when such a people are joined together. People share the truth and commit to one another in acts of love and togetherness that the whole world notices. May we become such a story, Lord, so that others may know you as we know you, as a loving God in our lives who calls forth from us our very best. May it be so in the life of each one here, Lord, as they contemplate today, as they prepare to leave. If they need to give themselves to you for the first time, if they need to recommit themselves to you and following you, if they need to commit to speaking more plainly and more often and more lovingly to their children, let them make that decision today. If they're lonely and don't know how they can accomplish any of these things alone, let them know that there's a body of Christ right here in this place who will help them. We worship you, Lord, and we love you. Fill us with your fullness, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.